Wow, what a great way to start. The Ten Commandments. We're going to look at that today as we look at the life of Moses. And uh, my name is Gary Gerstenberger, and my wife Renee and I uh, make this church our home. We love our church here at K3NAS, and I want to thank Pastor Cindy for the opportunity to jump in as a part of the series that we're looking at as a church. And uh, we're basically living in covenant. And so we're going to look at just kind of a reminder of a couple of weeks and kind of where we were and where we're going uh, as a congregation together. Uh, this five-week series, Living in Covenant, Pastor Cindy shared about God's covenant of redemption in the life of Adam uh, two weeks ago, and then Pastor Leon last week talked about uh, the covenant of righteousness with Abraham. So today we're going to look at the covenant of relationship with Moses and the Israelites, and then in the next two weeks we're going to move into the covenant of restoration and reconciliation. So Moses' story, the story of Moses and his journey with God was so good that on October the 5th, 1956, they made a movie of his life, all right? Now, for most of us, over the past 60 years, when we think of Moses, we think of Charlton Heston. It's just kind of what we think about. During that Easter season, uh, sometime during Lent, uh, we're expecting it to come out. It's always amazing those major networks will still put the Ten Commandments on TV, all right? So I think it's a great thing. One of the things that's really neat about this movie is the fact that in the first eight years, it was translated into 21 languages uh, for countries around the world. Since then, it has expanded past that. But that story of the Ten Commandments. So it made a great movie, so it's got to be a great story. Think about all the things you see in a movie today, and then think about the things that were involved in this little setting of Moses' life. So we begin, and we see Moses uh, as, a, as a baby and his mother trying to save his life from the evil Pharaoh, puts him in a basket and puts him down by the River Nile to protect him. So against all odds, the evil Pharaoh's daughter finds baby Moses, takes him for her own, takes him back, and raises him as if it's her own child. And so he's, he's living a life. He, he knows kind of a little bit about who his Israelite family is, but yet he's still being raised by the Pharaoh's daughter. So in this process of the story, we begin to see how he grows up, and one day he's out, and he's not real happy with seeing that one of the Egyptian um, are basically beating one of the Israelites, and so he takes matters into his own hands, and he kills the Egyptian. And so the story continues to explode as, as he runs for his life, and he, he has to go to the desert to get away from this empire and he spends 40 years there learning about God. And then God tells him to do some things. And of course, if you know the story, he really doesn't want to do it, but he does it anyway because God usually wins in the end anyhow. And so he goes back to Pharaoh and, and he says, basically, let the people go. And Pharaoh's not really interested in that. And so God says, okay, I've got a plan. And so he comes in with these 10 plagues and the plagues then begin to be cast down. And it takes 10 of them because Pharaoh, evil Pharaoh, is the one who will not let things change. He finally says, let the people go. They're free. So the people go, and they're free, and they get to the Red Sea, and they think their lives are over because they know the army's coming behind them. And in the process, like only Hollywood, they can separate the waters. It's not just a story. It's what God did. And so the, the waters are separated. The people go through. They're safe. And then the, the soldiers try to go behind, and they're destroyed. What a great story. What a great movie that would make. As we think about that story and how sometimes those stories in the Bible just kind of 
help us to think about and process just the excitement of what was going on in their lives. Not that we want to be in that place, but it's exciting to watch how God worked. The thing that's interesting about Moses' life is there are three distinct sections. There was 40 years that he was raised in Pharaoh's household. There, there were 40 years that he was on the run and then in the desert. Who would have thought that God could use the 40 years in the desert to prepare Moses for anything? And in that process, then the, he comes to the Ten Commandments scene, and he's about 80 years old, and he knows he's getting ready for like the next 40 years of what God is going to do in his life and the life of the people. So as we see these things, we, we think about the fact that the first 40 years was a growing time, the second was a learning time, and the third he was about to find out as he goes into this journey. This reminds us that God has plans for us in life, and his plan isn't just as a teenager at a youth camp to say, this is what you're going to do with your life, that's it, that's the answer, here you go, do it. But see, God works at every stage in our lives. He, he works in that first 40 years, and he gives direction, and he begins to give explanation of who he is. And then we're in kind of some of us in the next stage of life. And in that next stage of life, he said, well, look what I did over here. You got to trust me over here. And we still struggle trusting him here, even though we trusted him there. But it's relationship. It's this covenant of relationship that he calls us to. And so for those who are in that next stage, he has something for you. You just don't know what it is. And it's because he really reveals things one day at a time. That's the one thing I wish we could say to God, could you just give me a little short-term planning? Just, just give me a little bit of insight. But he asks us to trust him. So in this relationship, we, we see from where we are, and at a younger age, the middle age, whatever age that we are in life, God is calling us and drawing us and teaching us and walking with us and calling us to follow and asking us to just trust me all the way through not just when we're young, not just when we're old, but every stage. He calls us to follow at each phase of our lives. Because see, God has never done drawing out the roadmap for what he wants to do. He wants a relationship. He wants this covenant. He wants to be close. He almost wants to be clingy. He just wants to just be there in the middle of everything that we are and do. So throughout history, God has reached out to man to draw him into a relationship. In order for the relationship to happen, we basically have to discover and know who God is, and we have to seek after him. If we don't seek God, he just becomes an acquaintance, someone we know about, something we know about. So in order for us to help build the idea of relationship and the covenant of the Ten Commandments, we're going to have to do something a little bit different today and look at the Ten Commandments in a whole new way, all right? When you think of the Ten Commandments, it just sounds like rules, the things we can't do, all right? Kind of like when you have a small child, and you feel like all you ever do is tell them no at a certain point. No, we can't do that. No, we can't do this. We can't do that. But see, if we can see God in a whole different way today and what the Ten Commandments really represented, it might help us a little bit. It's who he is. It's his being. If, if his being is like this, not doing certain things help us to grasp his being. So we're going to take a look at the fact that 
basically the Ten Commandments or the instructions that he gives us on how to live to understand relationship, that there's basically two things that are happening. He's basically calling us to, to, to love God and to love people. It's that simple. You can kind of condense it all into there. So we're going to kind of walk through these and just take a look at them. So the first thing we see is that love God by keeping him in the center of our lives. No other gods. Love God by worshiping him alone. No graven image. Love God by remembering his name is holy. Do not misuse his name. Love God by resting and focusing on Him. Sabbath time with the Lord. Love God by loving those who gave us life. Honoring our parents. And then we shift from the five things that God calls us to to love to loving people. So we see love people by respecting all life. Do not murder. Love people by staying pure. Do not commit adultery. Love people by respecting others' property. Do not steal. Love people by living in truth. Do not lie. Love people by by appreciating the blessings of your life. Do not covet. See, if we can say, okay, I see why God wants us to understand these things, because it is who He is. And when we figure out who He is, it's easier for us to understand what He wants in a relationship. That covenant relationship. Webster's definition says, a written agreement or promise usually under seal between two or more parties, especially for the performance of some action. Sounds very legal. When we think of covenant, it just sounds like something we're going to sign and not like. All right? So maybe you're buying a house for the first time, and you just realize you're going to be making payments for 30 years. You want the house but you're still trying to grasp and get your mind around the rest of it. It's the idea that he wants first for the relationship to develop with us and then to walk with us and help it to get stronger. Wherever we're at in our spiritual walk, it should not be where we were 10 years ago or 20 years ago or five years ago. It should always be going deeper, seeking him more, grasping who he is and finding out who God is in new ways so that we can understand who he is. The Old Testament is filled with examples of stories over and over and over. When we were kids, we would come home and be riding the car, and our parents would say, what was your story today in children's church? We would say it was a rerun, uh, because if we watched Gilligan's Island and we saw it before, it was a rerun. So if we heard the story of Moses, it was a rerun. And they say, but what did you learn from your rerun? And we would talk through it. So, so we learned the stories. And every time, God was in charge. And every time, God was calling. And so even as a child, we were not always understanding it, but the fact that the relationship and understanding who he is began to happen in our lives. Then Jesus comes along and says, okay, this is how God was trying to have a relationship with man. Now I'm here with you, and I'm going to have a relationship. And he has a relationship with his disciples, the people that he spoke to and reached out to and touched and healed and raised from the dead. And it's like, oh, well, that's what it looks like here. We kind of knew what it was, but this is even better. So the covenant was about identity that called for a surrender of ourselves. It called for a commitment, an all-in 
you, you know, God talks about you can't serve two masters. We can't either be in and out. We are either in or we are seeking God to where we need to be. Those are the only two acceptable options. Serving God and knowing him in a relationship or beginning to work towards where he wants us to be. So as we look at this, we look at the idea of covenant. Now, we're going to transition to the scripture in a minute. In Exodus 20, you've got the Ten Commandments. And then chapters 21, 22, and 23, God is still past the Ten Commandments, giving all these rules and regulations and guidelines to, to Moses. So we're not going to go into all those, but he talks about how you treat a Hebrew servant and what do you do in personal injuries and uh, what do you do for protection of property. So he basically gives them an entire society of how to live. Tells them everything they need to know. But he kind of works it into where then to say, but now I want us to have a relationship. There's going to be a covenant. Something's going to happen in this place in this time. I want you to look, if you have your Bibles or your, uh, your phones, uh, this probably will be the last time I ever use my Bible up here. My phone is so much big, bigger and brighter um, that I have to kind of go a certain way just to see it. So if you have Exodus 24 and you want to look at it with me, I'm going to look at the first eight verses. Then he said to Moses, come up to the Lord, you and Aaron, Nadab and Abihu, and 70 of the elders of Israel. You are to worship at a distance. See, God was always great at step by step. You're going to worship at a distance, but Moses alone is to approach the Lord, and the others must not come near, and the people may not come with him. When Moses went out and told the people the Lord's words and laws, they responded with one voice, everything the Lord has said we will do. Moses then wrote down everything the Lord had said. He got up early the next morning and built an altar at the foot of the mountain, and set up 12 stone pillars, representing the 12 tribes of Israel. Then he sent a young Israelite man, and they offered burnt offerings and sacrificed young bulls as fellowship offerings to the Lord. Moses took half the blood and put it in the bowls, and the other half he sprinkled on the altar. Then he took the book of the covenant, and he read it to the people. They responded, we will do everything the Lord has said, we will obey. Moses then took the blood and sprinkled it on the people and said, This is the blood of the covenant that the Lord has made with you in accordance with these words. Blood. The blood of the covenant. The blood was an important symbol. It was the blood that gave life to animals, to humans. The blood. When the blood was used, it was very sacred. It was very important. Moses follows the instructions that God gives him. He, he builds this altar. He does everything step by step because he wanted this relationship with the people of Israel to be what God wanted it to be. The commandment, basically, we think about how Abraham had a covenant with God. He had a relationship. God was blessing him, blessing all his generations. Well, now the new blessing is here. The relationship that God says to Moses that now, not just Abraham's line, but all of Israel will be blessed. And ultimately, the world through the coming of Christ. 2,000 years ago, God gave us his son, and that was the final blood sacrifice. Once and for all, all done. All you have to do is know about it and receive it, and you will be taken in. So I want you to think about this statement. Uh, Pastor Cindy and I kind of looked at how this, this whole 
direction was going. And, and, uh, and so one of the things that she and I talked about was how God draws us out to draw us in. And when I first read that, I thought, what in the world am I talking about here? And then I began to process and say, okay, Lord, help me grasp it a little bit more. So what this means is, is that God draws us out of our sin, all right, and draws us into a relationship. Because we were born in sin, we basically have to wait for the blood, the covenant to come and the relationship to be developed through God. So in that, God's presence has always been drawing people to himself. It's his grace drawing us. Whenever you feel like you're alone or you feel like you're struggling, take a look at your spiritual life. If you feel empty, because see, God created you to be fulfilled. So when we're not fulfilled, and we're not talking about the blessings of everything that we can have, fulfilled in the relationship, when we sense God and we sense his relationship in our lives, and we know that the sin is gone, we've been forgiven by the blood, and we ask for a deeper relationship with God, he's going to give it because he's drawing He's constantly pulling us in that direction. And because I say he's pulling, because there's something else pulling in the other direction. Satan does not want us to have a relationship with God. It's the reason he showed up in the Garden of Eden. He was jealous, and he did not want it to happen. And so we live now in this torn world, pulled in two directions, forgiven, created a certain way, and going this direction, but constantly having something we have to push aside. We live above sin. We can be sanctified. We can say, God, my life is your life. But it doesn't mean temptation isn't going to come our way when we're not even looking for it. It's going to come along in that same process. It was kind of like the old bracelets. What would Jesus do? All right? It gave somebody kind of a focus point to think for a minute. It's too bad sometimes we have to think about it. If we're close enough to him in our relationship, we should understand him enough to know. So relationships. There's all kinds of relationships. There's families, there's parents, siblings, cousins, grandparents, there are congregations, there are people we work with. There, the list goes on and on and on with all the people that we know, and, and each relationship is very unique. But God blesses us in his relationship more than any of these can ever understand. See, we, we nurture these relationships, we, we keep in contact with them, we spend time with them, we talk with them, we want to know them, and that's why sometimes our human relationships are stronger than our relationship to our Father. It, but it doesn't have to be that way. We, if we spend time and if we seek God and we look at prayer and we look at our Bible and we look at all the things we can do being with godly people, we can sense His presence in His relationship and be stronger. We think about how uh, in His presence, we're, we're in a worship setting. We don't just leave His presence here and then walk out and come back next Sunday and pick up the same place where we sat the week before. It's, it goes with us. It walks with us. He calls us to walk with him 24-7. The relationship only becomes weak when things start to get in the way and we lose focus and we forget about the blood and the covenant of the relationship. I want to wrap up this morning sharing with you six things that I think God does in him life in a covenant with him. The first one is, God created us for relationship. If we understand that he's created us for a relationship all the way back to the beginning, 
in the Garden of Eden, that's why we were, that's why we were created. We weren't just created and he said, hey, I think I'll be friends with this guy and, and this girl and see what happens. We were created for this relationship. Knowing that should change how we see God. The second thing we see is that God modeled for us relationship. All right, how many of the stories, Old Testament we saw? Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, on and on and on, story after story after story, relationship after relationship after relationship, the calling, the calling, the drawing. I don't know how many times he has to say to us, hey, can you figure it out? This is kind of what it looks like. And then to see what Jesus did when he came in the flesh. So in this process, we see that he modeled for us relationship. God draws us into a relationship. It's not that we pick it up if we feel like it. He is pulling. So if we are not yielding, we are miserable. There is a point where we just got to say, it's my fault if I'm miserable because I'm not going to the relationship and letting God draw into my life and show me what he has for me. God draws us in because he never intended for us to be out of sync with him. God reveals to us relationship. He reveals himself through his spirit. The Holy Spirit can tell us and draw us and show us, and we can be educated in what God is trying to do in our lives. We also see that God fills us with relationships. When God comes into our lives, we understand what it means to be full, all right? When you go to a pizza buffet, you go in, I am so hungry. You walk out saying, why did I eat the last three pizzas? That's where we need to be with God. We are so full full, that we just want to sit there for a moment. That's what it's like with God. I like this. I like where this is at. But we're human, and we get busy, and we push things aside. So God fills us with relationship, and then God lives through us in relationship. It is not us doing it. It's not our own willpower. If it's willpower, we will fail every time. It is God's Spirit through the created being, living like he called us to live. I want you to bow your heads and close your eyes, if you would, for a moment. Our Heavenly Father, this morning, I pray that we can grasp in the days ahead even more, even more of your presence in our lives. Not just in this place, But as we walk through our weeks, as we have situations in our lives, conflicts that come up, whatever it might be, Lord, each day, having time with you, searching after you, asking you to show us something new, putting our hands in the air and saying, whatever it is, God, I'm in. Whatever it is, God, I don't always feel like I want to just jump in head first, but If you say so, I will. Whatever it is so that we can sense your presence in such a way that it's not just the feelings, but it's the heart and the head. We know you've been there before. We know you're going to be there again. We know you've been there in between. And the heart, the emotions that sometimes we live with, the ups and the downs, to know that even in our times that we're down, that you are still there, you are still active. And just because we can't see the future You have a future for us. Whatever phase, whatever step, 
wherever we're at in our lives, help us, Lord. I pray that in the days ahead, that each and every one of us will continue to ask the question, God, what do you want of me? So we can go deeper and understand you more and let you speak into our lives in new ways. In ways that maybe we are a little afraid to step into, but we know with confidence because of the blood, because of the covenant, because of the relationship that you will take care of us. We thank you for these things in your name today. Amen.